0: I'm Selena Scardina, I'm the Executive Vice President of External Engagement at the IEDC. And I'm Nathan Brown, and I'm the Manager of Public Relations at the IEDC. You're listening to Indiana for the Bold, a podcast by the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, bringing you the boldest stories of the people who are building the economy of the future right here in Indiana. We've seen over $100 million invested into the Indiana Autonomous Challenge, a collaborative triumph that demonstrates the state's commitment to innovation and the combined efforts of industry giants and research universities. Joining us to chat about this incredible effort is Paul Mitchell, president of the Indiana Autonomous Challenge.
1: We wanna run cars that are the most advanced
0: autonomous vehicles in the world so that the teams can develop the most advanced AI drivers. From the racetracks of the Indy Autonomous Challenge to the bustling streets of everyday life, Paul is here to share how the adrenaline-fueled development of autonomous racing is not just a spectacle of engineering, but also a testbed for the safety, efficiency, and speed that will define the future of all mobility. Paul Mitchell, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Glad to be here.
0: So for listeners who are unaware, can you tell us a little bit about the Indy Autonomous Challenge and what you do there, Paul?
1: Yeah, so I'm president of Indy Autonomous Challenge, and uh, we are a nonprofit organization that's based here in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, that was founded to really advance the state of the art in high speed autonomous vehicle technology. We do so by uh, running a series of racing competitions using fully autonomous Indy cars that are programmed, uh, piloted, if you will, by AI drivers coded by top research universities from around the world.
0: So let's talk about those cars a little bit more. Um, I read recently an interview that you did with a publication called The Robot Report. Um, You were talking about the humble origins, if you can call it that, of autonomous cars, autonomous racings. And you said, quote, when we first started, it was just a question of, can you actually make an autonomous car go really fast and build a car that can really drive itself? End quote. Uh, Autonomous cars, the technology in them. Uh, It's coming a long way and has these really far-reaching impacts across all sorts of spheres, across all sorts of organizations, businesses, so on and so forth. How does what you all do, uh, the teams that you guys engage with, how does that have impacts across these various industries? You know, thinking of defense, AI, Mm -hmm. and, and all those other related industries as well. So I think
1: to understand kind of where we play within the autonomy ecosystem, you kind of have to go back and, and talk about the, like the true origins of autonomous vehicles, which really uh, started in 2004, 2005 with the DARPA Grand Challenge. In those two years, 2004, 2005, the U.S. Department of Defense, through DARPA, put out a, a prize competition for research universities to develop self-driving cars. And the competition was focused on low-speed automation in a desert setting. So basically, hmm. can a car operate itself on a, on a kind of course out in the desert? And the vehicles at that time were traveling at 15, 20 miles an hour. Um, a little and, slower than your cars. <laughs> a lot, a lot slower, right. <laughs> and so it was really about trying to develop the perception systems and the control systems and the algorithms that could operate those vehicles. From that, uh, those initiatives, the DARPA Grand Challenges, you saw a, a, a literal explosion of all kinds of startup companies working in self-driving cars. Uh, many of the professors who were part of the teams that competed, whether it was the Stanford team led by uh, Sebastian Thrun or the team from Carnegie Mellon that Chris Ermson was part of, these people went on to found startups that became things like Waymo with, with Google and and cruise and and self driving programs for um, for Uber and even some of the people that went on to Tesla. Oh, wow. So um, that prize competition kind of gave birth to this initial era of autonomy, which has focused on low speed, urban suburban use cases. Basically, can we get cars to drive around on public roads and streets? Uh, to get us from our house to church or to school mm-hmm. or to the hospital. What we've tried to do within the autonomous challenge is say, okay, there's been a lot of investment and a lot of work in lower speed automation. Can these same technologies, the same hardware, the same kind of base software be used at extremely high speeds, like greater than 130 miles an hour? To, to do that, you had to figure out what vehicles could you use to test the, the driving algorithms at those speeds um, and really, the only answer is you got to use a race car. Um, and since Indiana is the, the home of, of racing, in the, at least in the United States, uh, and we have this wonderful brand of, of IndyCar, uh, we have the idea of using the, the racing heritage and the IndyCar platform as a test bed for high-speed automation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where we play. Our niche is getting uh, top research universities, because this is still... This kind of extreme high-speed automation is still very much um, in the early R&D kind of applied research phase. There's there's not people out testing uh, Waymo cars at 130 miles an hour yet. So primarily, the leadership is coming from academic institutions versus private industry. And so we put a call out, got top research universities to engage uh, from all around the world. And uh, through initially a prize competition with a million-dollar prize kind of sparked the interest in the building of 10 autonomous race cars that could be piloted by these university teams to try and validate that, yes, the technologies can work at these high speeds and, yes, the driving algorithms can operate uh, as close
0: as possible to what a human race car driver is, is capable of. What does it take for a good team to make it in that competition? And wh- where are these students coming from? I'm assuming they're students and also, you know, probably led by an instructor or something like that. But
1: so we have um, nine teams uh, that are made up of 18 universities. Mm. So some teams are, are multiple universities that have partnered together. <clears throat> and um, we have uh, three of them from Europe, two from Italy and one from Germany, one from South Korea, and the rest are from different parts of the United States. Mm. Uh, of course, here locally we've got a team from Purdue University, uh, just up the Excellent. road in the ways, yeah. Uh, and we've been having great conversations with the folks at Indiana University about potentially uh, joining into the, the competition as well. Um, the the teams are made up uh, primarily of PhD students, mm. uh, not exclusively. There are there are undergrads involved and master's students involved, but the bulk of the of the teams are led by. A group of Ph.D. students studying under a, a principal investigator or a lead faculty member, uh, usually associated with some type of, of robotics, uh, AI, automation lab at, sure. at the university. And uh, some of the teams uh, are, are quite robust. Uh, one of the teams, a German team from Technical University of Munich. They run with something around 12 full-time PhD students.
0: Wonderful. And they're the ones who won last year's race at CES. Is that correct?
1: No, they won the first race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in October 2021. And then since then, we've held – Additional races, four additional races, and actually all of those have been won by Polytechnic and Milano. So they've been wow. consistently winning. However, in several of those instances, Technical University of Munich has come in second. Um, so they're <laughs> they're quite the, the European teams uh, are quite quite good. They did have a bit of a head start in that the there was something before India Autonomous Challenge. I always like to give kind of credit to the history of of, of high speed automation. There was mm-hmm. something called Robo Race that was. Originated in, in more in Europe, uh, and it was an early attempt to develop and, and run autonomous vehicles in a racing context. Uh, was around for a couple of years and did some important initial uh, work in this space. Um, and some of the European teams were were a part of that, so they they got a little bit of a head start in developing these these high speed AI race car drivers. And uh, the U.S. teams are are working hard to to catch up.
0: You touched on this a little bit earlier. I want to talk about how the work that these teams do, the work that you guys do at IAC can kind of trickle down, so to speak, into civilian mass market applications. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, I have a Subaru Crosstrek and sure. there, you know, there's some computers in there. There's, um, yep. I think it's called Eyesight, right? Yep. That can automatically detect cars in front of me. Does the work that these teams do, does that sort of trickle down into the, into applications such as that?
1: I don't know if I can say it does yet, but it, it will and can. Um, in a couple of different ways. So first of all, um, you have the the validation of the hardware. So our race cars have in them uh, the same kind of hardware systems that are in modern uh, autonomous vehicles or even vehicles that have this, what's called like level three automation. So it's still, you're still driving it as a human, but it has this kind of lane assist and other safety features sure. that, that may take over in the event that you're in some unsafe you know, driving situation, mm-hmm. the, the hardware we use, whether it's cameras or LIDAR or radar or the, the onboard computers, the drive by wire systems, um, the communication uh, technology, is all off the shelf, very cutting edge, but still off the shelf technology. It's not custom just for our, our race cars. Mm-hmm. So we're proving out that, let's say, a LIDAR from Luminar or a radar from Continental. Can operate in these high-speed environments, so that's useful because if you put the the lidar technology that we use is also on the Volvo X90 and it's on a Polestar vehicle, cool. um, and so we're testing him in, in these high-speed applications. So that you know, in, in theory, those learnings are useful to the the current automakers. Where it really gets exciting, though, is as we start to think about the quality of the AI drivers that are being developed within Indy Autonomous Challenge and the collaboration among these teams and among the the companies and organizations that are part of this, as they develop more and more capabilities, particularly for high-speed encounters where mm-hmm. like two of our race cars are encountering each other at 180 miles an hour, 170 miles an hour, that decision-making about overtaking and avoiding a crash, if we see that those uh, results are, are, are good enough and reliable and consistent, then you know, the real opportunity would be to incorporate uh, some of those decision-making algorithms into the logic of a passenger car that's got a crash avoidance system on it, mm-hmm. right? That can allow for then safer operations of vehicles on the highways and eventually uh, can lead to you know, high-speed autonomous systems that can move people and move goods and product. Um, uh, from from point A to point B. I mean, if we could get cars that could safely operate on highways at one hundred and thirty miles an hour or more, mm-hmm. um, think of what that would do for logistics and supply chains. And eventually, if if it's safe enough that we feel you can put humans into those types of systems, then you know it starts to rival what you would get in terms of the speeds of high speed rail, which would wow. really be transformational for for our society. So it, it's a long way from that type of of um, you know future mobility uh, environment when i say a long way maybe a decade maybe a couple decades but sure. but we're already seeing that the the near term learnings can be applied to cars that are still driven by humans but have these special safety features that kick in when a car is you know about to enter into a collision or yeah. is in an unsafe environment
0: i see you guys you guys are touching the the future of the current workforce right of the world and of the whole automotive industry so um, tell me a little bit about you know what some of these these team members go on and do after they participate in IAC.
1: It really starts with the ecosystem of the motorsports industry in Indiana. Mm. Um, you know, when I say Indiana is the the motorsports capital of the world, um, you know that is it, it's true. It's also there's there's really only like two or three places in the world where the engineers, the technicians, the we were talking earlier about. The fact that we have people that repair these cars when they're wrecked, mm-hmm. um, and you know you can't just walk down the street and find somebody that knows how to repair an indie car uh, unless you're in Indianapolis, and then it turns out that they, they, <laughs> they exist. So you have a workforce in uh, Indiana that builds these chassis, whether it's Delara, whether it's Four Piston Racing that builds the engines, whether it's Indy Wire that that builds the the complex wiring harnesses, and then this local talent of technicians and Repair uh, uh, folks and that are servicing the cars, repairing the cars. We use Indy Racing Experience that, that runs the two-seater Indy Par program to do all of our logistics and transporting the cars to to various events. So that workforce, if it didn't exist, I don't think we could we could do what we're doing uh, because it would be too complicated to find the people that know how to to maintain and service these race yeah. cars. Then you add on top of that the the other workforce, which is Uh, The engineers and the technicians who are capable of working with all of these industry partners that we have who are contributing their hardware and their software. And we're designing and building and installing these autonomous hardware systems into the race cars uh, that that are some of the most complex uh, autonomous hardware systems being developed in the world. And uh, they're putting in, we're putting them into cars that make these cars the world's fastest autonomous vehicles. So that engineering team it's a small but but mighty team is all here in Indianapolis. Uh, they, they live here. They're, uh, they come from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. But we've brought them here. Uh, we work out of a shop uh, here in Indianapolis in 16 Tech Innovation District called the EMC Squared mm-hmm. uh, or Emerging mm-hmm. Manufacturing Collaboration Center. So the cars are are looked after there. Um, then you extend to this broader workforce that is the, um, the teams themselves, right? And I would say collectively across all of our teams, all the 18 universities that are involved, there's something in the neighborhood of maybe 200 um, PhDs and, and, and master's students and faculty and researchers that are, wow. that are involved. Yeah. Um, and they come from all different walks of life. You have obviously a lot of, of, of computer science, computer engineering but you also have uh, people who are experts in vehicle dynamics, in, in mechanical engineering. Um, there's people that are coming from the beast, the business schools to think about marketing and, and team management. Hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a broad cross-section of, of talent. Um, they're obviously spread around the world, but they come here to Indiana frequently. We actually have three teams that have been here for uh, a little over a week that are helping us you know, validate and shake down our, our next-gen autonomous race car systems um and two of them are from from italy one of them's from uh berkeley in hawaii and so they're wow. camped out here it's a great time of year by the way to be in indianapolis yeah. right right, right in, in, <laughs> lovely uh, time <laughs> in december but they're camped out here uh until we move the cars to las vegas for some some early testing uh later this month
0: yeah well let's talk about that so let's talk about when the actual rubber hits the actual road mm-hmm. um what is the experience like of racing these cars? How long is the race? Can people go see it? How fast are these cars going? You know, paint that picture for us. Our
1: objective within the autonomous challenge is largely to push the the limits of high speed automation, and to do so in a way that, that generates learnings and insights and, and innovation and discovery. That's a long winded way of saying our our races are an applied research project. Uh, they are exciting. <laughs> But they also have their ups and their downs. So sure. um, our our competitions are a bit unpredictable because you know you're bringing these cars out, you're you're running them in a setting where um, you know if one car doesn't operate the way that it's expected, then you may have to take a pause for a moment and and you know pull that car off, bring another team's car out. Um, so they're they're longer competitions. They mm-hmm. typically run for. You know, half a day. Um, uh, we, we usually start maybe around 10 or 11 um, and then they finish off, you know, usually around 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they ha- we have a series of rounds. So basically it's kind of like a, uh, well, we're in Indiana, so we think about basketball a lot. It's kind of like a tournament bracket for, for basketball. Sure. So We'll have um, time trial competitions, just one car at a time going out and running who can run the fastest laps. That sets your grid. And then you have your first team and your lowest ranked team go out on the track at the same time. Always two cars at a time is our current racing format. Um, and then they have a series of laps where they attempt to pass each other at higher and higher speeds until one team either waves the white flag and gives in or there's or or they spin out or have an accident. Hmm. Um, which kind of sounds a, a little bit morbid but the reality is there's no humans in the car so nobody's getting hurt so this sort of racing to the death if you will of, sure. of the car uh, is maybe a little bit more uh, um, <laughs> a, a little bit more ethical um, and so um, some of the earlier rounds where you have a top team going against a team that's maybe struggled to qualify those don't always last as long. Um, but as you get to the top teams finally heading you – know, facing each other in the final rounds, they've proven to be incredibly uh, compelling uh, racing. You know, they last about a, a, a final – semifinal or final round can last anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Um, 15 minutes is a long round. It's a lot of passing over and over at higher and higher speeds. Mm-hmm. And at, at, in Las Vegas this year, I guess it was January of this year, um, the final round between Polytechnic and Milano and Technical University of Munich, uh, they were t- touching uh, 175, 178 miles an hour. Wow! Um, so they're they're getting up there in speeds. Um, earlier rounds may only achieve speeds at you know 130, 140 mm-hmm. miles per hour. So this upcoming CES, we're kind of changing our uh, timing of inviting people to come watch the event a bit. Historically, we've had people come out to the track, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway during CES for the start of the race. But as I just described, the start of the race maybe doesn't have the most compelling. It's mm-hmm. like, like the NCAA tournament, right? It's kind of fun to watch the early games, but sure. you can be there. You really want to be there for the final four. And so that's what we're going to do is, is we're going to invite our, our guests and our partners and our team uh, sponsors and 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 some people that are attending CES to come out around three thirty in the afternoon to witness the like the, the final four, if you will, the mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. semifinals and final round, which always tends to be the most uh, exciting. Um, and then we're also going to use it as an opportunity to unveil this next generation uh, autonomous race car platform that. India Autonomous Challenge has been working on and is rolling out at CES. So, yeah, I wanted to ask about new things that you guys were pursuing for 2024. Exactly. So, um, you know, one of the challenges of running a uh, a program where you're trying to always push the envelope uh, as far as you can go with autonomy means you have to constantly keep an eye on the um, the quality and and the the uh, abilities of the hardware systems that you put on the cars. So we want to run cars that are the most advanced autonomous vehicles in the world, so that the teams can develop the most advanced AI drivers. Hmm. Um, so you're you're having to constantly refresh the the hardware with next gen or or updated versions. But that's difficult to do because you can't just make these changes, you know, as, as a one off change between races. You have to really engineer. Uh, down to the, the minute level, what it is that you're going to change out. So we made the decision um, late 2022 that in the summer of 2023, uh, this year, right after we finished up our race in Monza, which was incredibly exciting, right? Mm. First time running on a road course for, uh, for India Autonomous Challenge, set the speed record for a road course, was the first event ever to be sanctioned by uh, a regulatory body for motorsport the the same body that it, you know essentially manages fia in, yeah. in italy um, so after that event we started to really focus on uh, engineering and designing um, a new autonomous hardware system that will be placed into our race cars that will give them new capabilities so Um, this involves some of the same sponsors providing us updated hardware. So we've had Luminar, for example, has been our LiDAR provider from the beginning. We've been using their first-gen LiDAR. Now we're using their new Iris product. So it was putting new LiDARs on the car. Mm. In some cases, it was switching from one provider to another. So we're using Continental Radars now as as our radar supplier. Uh, DSpace providing the central computer. Uh, Cisco providing some of the networking and communication hardware. Um, One of the areas where we've made a lot of investment and actually developed some new IP as an organization, which is a a new thing for us, Hmm. is in the drive-by-wire system. Uh, So we found that the actuators that are needed to steer and brake these autonomous race cars, it's difficult to get that type of hardware off the shelf because – Commercial passenger cars are not usually operating at those speeds, so the providers of that technology aren't testing at that level. Sure. So we've had to go out and source the, the motors and the actuators that can handle the, the, the speeds and the use case uh, and design something pretty bespoke. So most of the technology on the car that we're putting in is something you can find on autonomous vehicles, on roadways today. There are a few things that we put into the cars that are unique to the racing platform this drive-by-wire system uh, being one of them. So we are rolling that new platform out at CES. We're going to announce all the design specs. We're going to talk about who the partners are. We're going to talk about some of the features that are uh, in the system that make it even more capable than, than the cars that we've been running. Um, and then we will have three uh, of our race cars at the track that will be running this new uh, system, this new platform. They will not participate in the race, but they'll be there to hopefully do some exhibition and demonstration runs for the media and for, you know, our, our partners to sort of celebrate this this new era of the Indy Autonomous Challenge race cars. And then all of the cars will be converted to this new platform after CES, and that's what will run
0: in 2024 and, and beyond. Wonderful. So lots of things to look forward to in the upcoming CES and 2024 and 2025 even. Lots of exciting new updates. So... Want to go back and and talk a little bit about this giant ecosystem that i think you guys are a part of all happening right here in indiana you know i think it's just such a wonderful example of a bold indiana story the the kind of stories that we're really trying to tell with this podcast so you have delara um their u.s headquarters right Mm -hmm. based here in speedway in indianapolis uh but the only other instance of them is is over in italy right that's where they started with porsche ferrari so on and so forth and all those guys You have, and then IAC brings together all these world-class universities from all across the globe, Mm -hmm. and you're working in all of this, frankly, bleeding-edge technology. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you ever just have to step back and, and pinch yourself and just think, wow, like, this is such an amazing thing that's happening that I'm a part of, and it's all happening right here in Indiana?
1: There's always been a sense that, you know, Indiana is good at building things, at at racing things, uh, at inventing things and all we're doing is trying to connect those legacies together in a modern relevant way which autonomous vehicles uh, represents. Um, so the, the ability to execute on this kind of a strategy and program, I, I don't call it a, a business because it's not a typical business. We're not developing and selling a product per se. It's, it's, a, it's a whole ecosystem, you use the right word. Um, that's required to to run India Autonomous Challenge is is really about public-private partnerships and the power of public-private partnerships where you have a state uh, like Indiana and the Indiana Economic Development Corporation that's willing to make these bold investments. Mm-hmm. I think the first you know grant funds to even support investigating this idea uh, came from the Indiana Economic Development Corporation back in 2017, 2018 timeframe, um, and you know the state said, "Hey, we'll put some initial capital down to investigate it, but we want to see top corporations, you know, validate that this makes sense to do." And so it required us to go out and get Delara, uh, Cisco, uh, Bridgestone, Luminar, Continental, you know, DSpace. Um, all these, all these major corporations, uh, some bigger than others, but um, to go and get them to say, "Yeah, if you if you can build, uh, attempt to build these race cars and get top universities to compete, we'll contribute hardware, software, and engineering support." So to achieve that kind of um, stepwise transformational innovation, you really do need industry, academia, and government to come together. That's exactly what. Indie Autonomous Challenge is doing, and you know the state of Indiana has been uh, there with us every step of the way, not just a cheerleader, but but an investor, a partner, an advocate, um, and we hope that you know from this comes not only uh, direct results uh, in the mobility industry and in the AI uh, industry, but hopefully this paves the way for other innovative public-private partnerships that are bold, that are, you know, uh, a bit risky um, to, to be tested and validated and developed in Indiana. Because if, if Indiana can, between 2018 and 2021, at a time when most people were doing nothing but trying to, you know, stay safe from COVID, could, could build the world's fastest autonomous race cars, recruit the top research universities from around the world, to develop AI drivers while they're in lockdown during COVID, and then to run a race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in October of 2021. I mean, that's an incredible uh, achievement. It's not, it's not on me, it's not on just any autonomous challenge or, or, or the people that are full time working with us. That is really the result of leadership from the governor, leadership from the business community, leadership from our academic uh, community. And,
0: you know, probably most notably the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. Paul, we talk a lot about the future of mobility. Um, such a large concept, a lot of different ways you could think about this. To you, Paul, what's the future of mobility? How do you define it? And then how are you contributing to it at the I- IAC? Probably, I mean, I imagine back from from the beginning of people, you know, trying to move from walking
1: to riding on horses or, you know, horse-drawn carriages. <laughs> um is it's always been about speed, efficiency, and safety. So, you know, you want to move people and goods as fast as you can. For probably a hundred years, we were increasing the speeds of passenger cars and trucks um, for a while at a pretty exponential rate. I, I don't know what the earliest, you know, cars that were built in Indiana. Indiana, by the way, is, you know, this tremendous history of being the birthplace of of, Mm -hmm. uh, automotive, um, this guy, Henry Ford up in (laughs) Michigan decided to create a more efficient way to build the cars. And then a lot of the industry, you know, went there, but originally, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the Stutz Bearcat and the, the Studebaker and all these cars were built in Indiana and they're gorgeous machines. They don't go that fast. Right. Um, and, and so the, 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 the journey is always to go faster because, why not, right? That that create, you get from point A to point B more quickly, you move the supply chains faster, et cetera. But the second issue is efficiency. So if you run an engine or an electric vehicle or a hydrogen vehicle, um, the the faster you run it, the more energy that's required. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most vehicles have kind of a, uh, most forms of mobility have this kind of Operating level where they they run best at a particular speed, right? Um, and so that's the efficiency component of it. Then the last is safety. So if you if you go faster, there's always risk of bigger collisions, you know, and they unfortunately can can lead to you know more um, fatalities or or, or injuries of, of the passengers. And so you know you can protect for that by building highways and building other other structures uh, to try to manage it, but those three things are, are fundamental to mobility, and India Autonomous Challenge is trying to tackle those three things. We're trying to see, can you make uh, vehicles go very, very fast, 130 miles an hour or more? Uh, do so not necessarily for the purposes of just entertainment to show that you can have a race car driver that's capable of operating those vehicles, but do so in a way that you show that it can consistently operate at that level, uh, do so efficiently, which is... That's still an area we need to work on. Uh, we'd love to be pulling in, you know, not just autonomous vehicles, but electric and and hydrogen uh, mm-hmm. to see how they operate at these speeds. And then there's the safety element. So for me, the future of mobility is can we get to a point where cars, trucks can operate uh, efficiently at speeds greater than 100 miles an hour, maybe greater than 130 miles an hour, Um Moving uh, goods and, and product faster that will speed up our supply chains, make the, 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 the economy more efficient and then move people faster. Uh, you know, we've got this tremendous network of highways across the United States, but if we could start moving people uh, between Indianapolis and Chicago or Chicago and Detroit or Indianapolis to Washington DC at you know, 130, 150 miles an hour you know, that would do incredible things for, for society. So we, we'd like to think that we're pushing toward that future. Uh, it's going to require a lot of, of technology advancement, regulatory advancement, um, probably some smarter infrastructure uh, to get there. Um, the other wild card, just to, to throw it out there, is, you know, getting to those speeds and those efficiencies and doing so safely may also um, lead to a change in moving from ground-based transportation to uh, moving into the air. So there's this question of should we should we continue to invest in faster, safer ground-based vehicles that can travel at 130 miles an hour, or do we move to essentially flying cars, right? Essentially drones or, or vertical takeoff aircraft or uh, small aircraft. Um, it's a whole longer conversation about which is, <laughs> which is better. I think you'll probably see an element of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my guess is uh, that because of the network of highways that we have um, and, and because of people's familiarity with ground-based mobility, that we're going to just start to see things, you know, pick up in, in speed uh, to levels that humans probably aren't comfortable uh, operating themselves uh, but if they're aided by computers, aided by, dare I say, AI uh, or even chauffeured by AI, uh, then, then that unlocks the capability to run at those speeds. So I'm giving you a pretty kind of technical answer for the future of mobility. But the last thing I would say is Indiana has a huge part to play in that, not only with India Autonomous Challenge, but you go up to Purdue University where they have one of the leading – Programs for aeronautical engineering and are working on drones and vertical takeoff aircraft. You have companies like Rolls Royce that are working on uh, those types of vertical takeoff aircraft. Uh, GE. Um, you have automotive companies that are building electric vehicles across the state, uh, whether it's Stellantis or General Motors. Uh, we have the hydrogen hub uh, that's here, and companies that are working on hydrogen, whether it's Cummins or or, or some of the or, or BP. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Part of this future mobility is a lot of the focus has been on efficiency of the powertrains moving into an environment where we have more scarce resources. And so you want to run electric, you want to run hybrid, you want to use less fossil fuels, you want to have less emissions. And that's important and that's, that's a big part of the focus. But I would argue that that is not enough, that future mobility also has to lead to these higher speed and safer
0: outcomes. Paul, last question for you. What's one thing that you want our audience to take from our, our conversation today? One thing that you'd like to them to remember?
1: I'd want them to know that that Indiana is the place that 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 really launched this concept of uh, extreme high-speed automation, uh, autonomous vehicles. So you could say, okay, we started autonomous racing, yes, but really this is the place where uh, government and industry and academia pulled together to... Uh, move the mobility industry from, um, from a place where the focus was almost exclusively on low-speed autonomous uh, vehicle technologies to this concept of extreme high-speed automation. And, and if we eventually are, I believe, eventually we'll be riding around in, in vehicles or pods or, or trucks uh, of some sort that are running at 130 miles an hour up and down I-65, uh, I- I'd like to say that that wouldn't be possible without the um, the innovative bold uh, steps that have been taken in Indiana in, in
0: the 2018 to 2023 range. Paul Mitchell, looking forward to seeing what happens at CES 2024 and how you guys continue to push the envelope with everything that you're doing. So Paul Mitchell, just want to thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Indiana for the Bold. For more information about what we do at the IEBC and to subscribe to our monthly newsletter, go to ForTheBold.com. And as always, stay bold, Indiana.